0: pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so excited to have Melissa here today on the podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Cheryl, for this opportunity, and um, I'm looking forward to chatting with you today.
0: Yeah, me too. Yeah, so just to start off, can you tell the audience a little bit about where you're from and what is your relationship to arthritis?
1: Um, so hello, everyone. My name is Melissa. I'm 24. Um, I'm living in the east of England in the UK. I have type 1 diabetes and lupus.
0: Awesome. And then with lupus, I know lupus can have so many different you know symptoms, do you have joint pain as one of your symptoms?
1: Um, I think with my lupus, the only impact is, is my skin. Um, rarely impacts my joints, unless I've done a five-day stroke at the gym, oh, yeah. <laughs> and obviously the, the, the DOMS um, impacts that, but um, for me, it's just my skin.
0: Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah, and I would love to hear more because, I mean, lupus is famous and for being difficult to diagnose and um, type one diabetes can also be difficult to to diagnose. And so, um, you know, I would love to hear more about your diagnosis journey. How did that, how old were you when you got diagnosed and was that an easy or difficult progress process?
1: Um, So for me, my diagnosis, um, so months before I got diagnosed, um, I was having episodes where I was very fatigued from school. And my parents would just sort of have to take me from one room and take me upstairs. And I think at that point they took me to AE, And then I was blue-lighted to another hospital about an hour, 50 miles away from home. I was in there for like a couple of couple of weeks. Um, they did plasmaphoresis, they did blood transfusions. And then eventually um, on my ninth birthday, I was diagnosed with um, type 1 diabetes and SLE lupus. So obviously anyone, a kid at nine, you're thinking, um, my sister actually bought a chocolate cake, which I can eat. And I was just like, oh, so life sort of was sort of not turned upside down, but life changed after the age of nine for me.
0: Wow. Yeah. So you got both diagnoses at once. That's, that's huge. And um, what, you know, tell me a little more about how your, your life changed after that. How did, how, what did that look like?
1: Um, so for me um, most of my parents so most of my family is in the medical setting so my dad was a nurse mum worked um, in the NHS and my sister was also a nurse so they all worked in the NHS field so obviously um, it changed a lot, a lot in our family but obviously we tried to keep things as normal as possible so if there was activities I wanted to go to they will make sure I could still go to them but having the support I needed but also I think for everyone it's like when you've got a new condition coming on, you sort of just try and pull together and connect, um, which I think is what we did.
0: Yeah, that's a, it's a huge benefit having family members, like immediate family members, who have some medical training because it can be very overwhelming. There's so many new term, so much new terminology, you know. And some people are like nervous about, you know, doing the, what do they call them? Like the, the, the blood sticks, you know, where you yeah. have to prick yourself. Was that hard for you? Did you, did you have to manage your blood sugars by, you know, monitoring with, what do they call it? The, the finger prick or finger stick? Yeah.
1: So obviously now um, at the time um, I was finger pricking maybe four to eight times a day. Okay. Um, yeah. So obviously that like, my family would would know like when I would would know like based on my reactions like okay she's going low or she's going high or they'll know like my symptoms but also as we skip forward a bit now there's lots of technology so now I use the Dexcom G6 and the tandem Keystone pump so with the Dexcom G6 um, there's times where in my household we sort of say I want to throw the Dexcom in the bin because it will be screaming and um the pump sort of allows me to, to notice based on the trend um, when I'm going to go low and it'll stop giving me insulin. So I'm grateful for the technology. I know some people are still trying to access this technology, but I'm grateful to have it, especially with my line of work as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about your work. What what do you do?
1: So, based on all this journey of mine, um, it inspired me to pursue occupational therapy. Um, I had occupational therapy as a child through my journey of um, lupus and then obviously it led me to my career of being an occupational therapist. So obviously for me, as I said, um, I like the Dexcom G6 because I work in a crisis team. So sometimes like um, some days, some days are different, like you can go in, it's it's like it's not a normal day, every day is different, so you have to be flexible in your approach. Some days they may go for lunch earlier, some days they may be giving activities or intervention or educational groups. So just having that reassurance that okay my bloods are okay or just looking them discreetly on my watch allows me to feel more in control of my diabetes but also um, something I picked up this week is that um, someone mentioned that the the family members are like the type one caregivers they're like another type one in the family and sometimes we don't always see the burden the long-term condition can have on them as well the emotional strain where you're frustrated you're levels are like this or your arthritis is played up like this we don't sometimes don't see that and how it impacts them as well so obviously they they also need to have that support as well so that's something
0: yeah Yeah, absolutely okay and so I want to step back for one second because I'm realizing some people who listen to the podcast might not be familiar they're familiar often with like all the different kinds of inflammatory arthritis Mm -hmm. but not necessarily diabetes so when you say type 1 that's short for type one diabetes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. when we say your levels, we're talking about your blood sugar levels. Yes, that's
1: yes. correct. Yes,
0: okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just again like it's it's so when I'm listening to a podcast and they use a bunch of acronyms or not, I mean these aren't even acronyms, but you know shortenings. I'm like, what are they talking about? Mm. So um, and also like yeah, going low or going high is simply like when your blood sugars are low, right? And then versus yes. when your blood sugars are high. So. And then when you say, this is actually something, I don't know, when you say you are, you're in the you know United Kingdom on a crisis team, what is that? Is that like emergency crisis or is it like a mental health crisis?
1: So obviously, um, I work with the mental health. So obviously, as you know, COVID has impacted a lot of um, yeah. mental health. So obviously, we've seen an increase of people needing mental health services post-COVID. So um, a simple thing could be like, for example, in during COVID, a lot of people were um, told to shield the most vulnerable categories. Mm. So some of my line of work could be trying to allow people to access the community again. So that could be through some graded exposure work. So we sort of say, for example, if they want to access community resources, so I may just perhaps um, do some graded exposure work, which consists of perhaps taking them to a place together. And then the next session I meet them, I would say, okay, I'm gonna meet you halfway, you go the first half and then I'll I'll meet you there. And then sort of allowing them to have that independence to be able to do that journey independently with some support. And then the final trip could be like, um, you're gonna do the whole journey by yourself but I'll meet meet you on the way back. That's just one aspect. Something else could be delivering educational groups. So six um, targeted group interventions with a well-known occupational therapist called Sue Parkinson who wrote Recovery Through Activity. She's well-known in the occupational therapy industry. Um, but yeah, so some of that can be pacing, energy conservation, um, motivation and recovery plan, but also thinking how food impacts our mood. Because obviously, I don't know about you, but when we eat like healthy food, we feel more energized, revitalized, in comparison to when we eat a takeaway, we feel more sluggish. So just sort of educating you how these food impacts your mental health. And the last one we may cover is medication, which we all do alongside our nursing team is about how medication impacts certain factors so like you know when you eat certain medication you're like okay this is what's happening and just being aware of those side effects really
0: yeah that sounds really comprehensive i love that (laughs) i'm all about self-management is my favorite part of being an ot so that's so cool yeah and Mm -hmm. were you nervous at all like people ask me sometimes were you nervous about going into occupational therapy knowing that like you have a health condition as well? Or did you feel like, okay, I can do this, you know? We're both, probably a mixture. <laughs>
1: um, I think, so what I did is I finished my GCSEs. So that's what you're doing in, in the UK. I don't know, in other places and maybe something else like your own levels, but depending on your state. So I took a year out um, partially just to regroup and see what I wanted to do. But also I think in that year out it allowed me to see like how my conditions were. And obviously I'd already had the pre discussions with my medics um, beforehand, like, okay, these are my plans. Like we had already made a detailed plan, like, okay, if I get into this university, like the nearest specialist centres are here and here. Um, we made that plan. I think I didn't feel apprehensive because in the UK there was legislations and policies in place. So obviously the Equality Act 2010 um, highlights about reasonable adjustments. and anyone with a long-term condition can have reasonable adjustments in place um also there is like disabled access grants as well so like if you need extra time to write assignments extra time to have loan books or even a scribe that's all there in place so there is legislations to protect you so I think um I did feel anxious about that um I think the first few weeks I did feel anxious because my diabetes was a bit like a bit of a roller coaster because I was traveling into London and obviously my levels were a bit fluctuating in terms of what I'd be by the time I got there but then I guess with the tech had um it made it better
0: yeah yeah I think just knowing about your rights and knowing about your accommodations Mm -hmm. in the first place is a huge is a huge help and a lot of people don't Mm -hmm. know you know their rights and it can be confusing in the United States because things can differ like federal Mm -hmm versus state, but, but yeah, that's great. You know, I was very optimistic kind of as well. Like, okay, I'm, I'm a little nervous, but I feel like as long as I can get my RA under, keep my RA under control, my rheumatoid arthritis under control, you know, medically that I should be okay. But, um, but I just know it's something that a lot of people worry about. So, <laughs> um, and the other thing I wanted to make sure I don't skim over is, you know, a lot of people with rheumatoid arthritis um, have a comorbidity of either lupus or type one diabetes. Um, Like if you have, they always say like, um, because type one is autoimmune, if we didn't already say that, and and lupus is autoimmune too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, type two diabetes can be brought on by like, you know, your lifestyle choices and stuff like that. Whereas type one is, you know, you can get it when you're a friend of mine who has RA, her daughter got type one diabetes diagnosis when she was eight months old, you know, it can happen really young. Um, But what um let's just take one at a time for lupus what have been some of the treatments that you've that you've done that have helped like how how is lupus treated basically <laughs> in a nutshell
1: so for me um prednisone has been a long-standing treatment for me um we've gone on high doses um we're now sort of slowly weaning down um with my medic support so currently just on a weaning plan of trying to get down to a sterile dose of Five metadals, which I think, Cheryl, you can relate is when you're on steroids, you're, you're trying to make sure you don't go too quickly, but um, you get the disease element under control before you, you taper everything down. The other drug um, I take is hydroxychloroquine, which I think was mentioned past a lot during Covid when Donald Trump mentioned he was going to take hydroxychloroquine. Um, I take that every day. Um, I also take azathioprine um, as well. In the past, I have taken MMF, um, mycophenolate, um, phosphate tablets, and then I've had um, a few rounds of sarcophosphamide. And um, I'm currently, every 12 months, I take a biologic of rituximab.
0: um, Oh, okay. So once a year, okay. And I know that for RA, it's um, usually every six months. So that's interesting. Mm Yes, certain certain meds, they'll have different doses for different conditions. So that's a lot. And then what are some of the lifestyle um, things that you do, you know, um, now that you're, you're obviously an OT. So you've learned a lot of, you know, energy conservation and pacing or what are, you know, what are some of the things that you do on a daily basis or maybe a weekly basis that help manage your lupus symptoms, if anything, and maybe if it's no. more skin involvement, maybe it's not pacing. Sorry. I, was just, yeah. I always think of fatigue. So, but if you're not fatigued, then don't worry about it. <laughs>
1: So I think, um, so one thing, I was quite fortunate to have a trainer, um, which I found on Instagram, um, her name is Talia, Um, so I've been working with her for quite a bit of time, Um, I think throughout my university life and a bit now. Um, The other thing I will say is um, for my well-being, I tend to write, so I get up at 6am every morning, so I tend to just spend the first 15-20 minutes, have a cycle in the morning, then I 10 minutes just writing my thoughts on paper just to let your um brain sort of think about okay what's what what's worrying you and then just put on paper. Um the other thing is I try and not commit to everything. Um I, I say tell me myself. how to do that.
0: <laughs> I'm so, so bad. Oh
1: so I think um COVID has taught the last few months it's taught me that um I'm always one to say yes to everything, but then I you have to remember that. You, there's no rights to say yes, you're only committing to yourself and it's okay to say no. Um, so I usually go on the lines of, oh sorry I can't facilitate this request today, um, is there a way you could perhaps like, can we review this later in the week to see if it's a priority? Um, and then you don't have to give people a reason why you can't say no, it's, it's your choice, I think that's important. Um,
0: oh my gosh. Yes. I need to, rec- I'm good. Well, I am recording this. So I'm going to repeat this part to myself. It's so important. It's so important.
1: And then the other thing I ask myself, okay, if I do this, how is this going to impact me? But also, um, is there something else that is more pressing that I need to do? So like, I, I have to always wait up like, okay, if it can, it be left to another day, how is it going to value me at this moment in time? If I say yes, and what have I missed if I say yes to this? Um, it can be, you have to be cruel and kind to yourself, but also remember that your cup has to be full as well. Cause you can say yes, yes, yes. And then you're running on autopilot and then you think, okay, I, I'm exhausted. I need, I need to sleep the whole day. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of times, I'll just speak for myself that if your condition has made you have to say no in the past, You can, you know, there's a grieving that goes with that, right? Like, oh, if I didn't have RA, if I didn't have fatigue, I'd be able to say yes to more. And so then there's this tendency to be like, well, I'll just push through because I, you know, I don't want, I don't want my RA or my health condition to hold me back or whatnot, but that's still kind of like a toxic mentality, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, you do have limitations and being able to look them in the face and be like, yep, I can accept this. Mm -hmm. I don't have to like it, but I accept it. And, you know, I don't want to be so stubborn to be like, I'm just going to pretend I don't have this and I can do everything. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't add value because at the end of the day, like you don't know the task you're doing is going to cause you more stress or if it's going to just alleviate the pain. Um, I think it's, and sometimes as you say, you could be like, okay, you don't want to say no because it's like, okay, I'm, I've got, I'm meeting friends and I'm like, oh, they'll be like, oh, oh you arthritis. But if, you, if they're truly your friends, they'll understand that, like, okay, um Melissa's not available to them. Melissa's like said no and she she's she's tired or whatever. You don't need to give people the the the, the reason why you've said no. It's, it's your personal choice. Um, yes.
0: Sometimes uh, people say you know, no is a full sentence, which you know, I never say sentences that are that short. So I was joking, <laughs> like I don't know how to do that. But yeah, and the other thing I repeat to myself is um, something I heard once, which is like, does ask yourself, does it have to be done? period. Does it have Mm -hmm. to be done now? Does it have Mm -hmm. to be done by me? And does it have to be done by me now? Because I feel this like impatience all the time. Like, oh, I have to say yes, I have to do this. And then what ends up happening is not only do I end up sacrificing, you know, time and energy and stress, but then I don't do as good of a job. You know, I end up making mistakes because I've overcommitted and I'm trying to rush through and get everything done. So it's not kind to yourself and it's not kind to others to always say yes, if you can't actually, if you don't have the capacity to fulfill that demand. Mm -hmm. So yeah, (laughs) I'm glad we covered this because it is something a lot of people struggle with is knowing Mm -hmm. your boundaries. Another thing someone said once in one of my room to thrive groups that I really loved, it's so simple, but it's plan your week or plan your day for like 75 to 80% of what you think you're going to be able to get done if you're like a chronic Mm -hmm. overcommitter, you know, because that'll remind you to say, first of all, just build, in other words, build in some wiggle room, you know, build it into your schedule. Don't start by overscheduling yourself because you're, you're kind of already fighting a losing battle at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. And then um, I wanna make sure to get to the topic I know you're really, really passionate about, which is advocacy. So, um, you know, how did you become an advocate? What, what inspired you? And i just love to hear more about your advocacy. So
1: my advocacy, um, so basically, whilst I was in my second year of university, um, I wanted an insulin pump. So where I was living at the time, um, in our local hospital, the pump list was an 18-month wait. Um, so I was going through the stages, um, I'd travel into London, King's Cross, which is very famous, anyone who's been to the UK will know about it. Um, I was traveling into uni at that time four days a week and it would be a case of in those four days a week every day I'd go home from uni, um, I would hypo, I'd go low basically, so my bloods would go below three and um, it was getting to the point; it was literally having it every day after um, uni, so it was getting too much. And obviously, um, I do this thing where I would text my family, WhatsApp my family group chat, be like, "Guys, can someone text me in twenty minutes to see if how my bloods are doing?" Um, so it got to the point where enough was enough. So I basically had the chat. I think a few weeks later, I had the appointment with my diabetes team. Um, I asked the consultant to basically. Um, Switch me, host- switch my hospital. So from going from a local hospital to a London trust. Um, initially, she said no. Um, I wrote a complaint. Um, I quoted all the literature I could find because in the UK you can it, you can ask for a second opinion. You can can transfer to another hospital if you want to. Um, so obviously, being a second year OT student at the time, I knew my rights. But she was like, no, no, and I stated like, this can't go go on forever. Um, so in the end that all happened and I got my GP involved and everyone got involved so I think by was it like the summer because I'd gone to Australia my sister was living out there for a bit um, she was on a career break and then um, the transfer happened once that after all that fighting and happening my parents are like Missy what have you done like this is you've made a mistake they were just like how dare you like I didn't get the side treatment, but they were just like, you could have handled this better, but obviously I thought what I could and it was just, um, sometimes if you're not getting the care where you are, it's time to move. And in my view, that's what I did. And then in the summer of, I think it was 2019, um, before I went to Australia, I got a confirmation, report, confirmation from the London Trust. And then I saw this lady, um, I saw my consultant, second week of October and I walked into that clinic room and she, she, the doctor said to me I don't know why you didn't get an insulin pump sooner so
0: yeah. it
1: was all that fight and advocacy but also sometimes I feel like we are the people I have this saying when I say to my rheumatologist every time I see him you've only seen me for 15 minutes and then obviously there's 24 hours in the day so then the next 23 hours and 45 minutes I'm left by myself um oh, you know yeah. the condition more than you know everyone else and at this point I was trying to let I was trying not to let diabetes define what I could do um but obviously that was the balance. the struggle was very hard because obviously you'd hypo and then obviously it was that balance and obviously work and driving it was just the rules and regulations in the UK so for instance if you if you go low again if your blood sugar drops below three you have to wait for 45 minutes to drive so
0: Sometimes. Your blood sugar can go to actually three,
1: less than three. I
0: know some people it's gone
1: down to less, more than that. Maybe some people can have a low blood sugar of one point eight. But in the UK, so say if you don't, if your blood sugar goes low, you have to wait forty five minutes to drive. So I sometimes see. it's like it's there's rules and regulations to protect the license. So I was kind of happy when she told me, Melissa, you need an insulin pump. And then I got one then 24th of Jan, 2019, I got my first insulin pump and it's mm-hmm. been a game changer ever since then, but it's constantly the thought of advocating and fighting for things that yeah, you have to justify to the professionals. Why are you asking me this when this has been done? And I think sometimes mm-hmm. for people with um, arthritis, it can get to the point which can increase your stress levels. I see it time and time again, um, like the other day, I got asked about a blood test, um, which would have been done on the in March, but people are like, "You've not had one." But then instead of you talking to me, you're just saying, "Do this, this, and this." Um, mm. I don't know how many times people fight over a prescription that I see on Twitter.
0: Oh when yeah, med-
1: when medication has ran out, and you you don't think about, "Okay, we've got public holidays, we've got bank holidays," um, especially in the UK, the um, prescription is so tight so say if it's like prednisone is a controlled drug methotrexate it's a controlled drug so without a without um a doctor you cannot get that or someone it has to be regulated for you to obtain it so sometimes these things i don't know how professionals think about the impact it has on someone's health when you stress them out and then they end up having a flare-up
0: right right no and yeah stress can flare up so so many conditions and the the A lot of times people just think of like external stressors, like, you know, your job or maybe family life, but it's like, no, this, the actual, well, those can obviously anything can be a stressor that's important to you, but navigating the health system and being at Mm -hmm. the mercy of people who don't necessarily always have your, in the United States, don't always have your best interest in mind. I'm not talking the providers, I'm talking to insurance companies. Mm-hmm. They're trying to save themselves money at the expense of your health. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. egregious. And so, um, I mean, obviously, you know, we'd need costs to not be out of control, but it shouldn't be at the expense of people's, you know, the the care plan that the doctor who went to med school for 10 years, sorry, little rant, but um, you know, the doctor sets the care plan. Yeah, and the insurance <laughs> is like, well, I don't wanna pay for that because it's expensive. You're like, but, they need it like what so Mm -hmm. i'm interested yeah so you had to advocate to not only get switch care teams for your type 1 diabetes Mm -hmm. but also to get an insulin pump and and you said that i think at one point you said it would be like an 18 month wait but you got it quicker is that right through your advocacy
1: so and it would be an 18 month wait if i stayed at my local trust so i so in the in the uk how it works is if you transfer someone there's like a priority list so a four week one is like, if they suspect you're gonna die or if you have cancer, you'd be, they, the new hospital had to see me within a certain amount of time. So the new hospital had to see me within 18 weeks of, um, of the transfer, which obviously this was before COVID. So I think we got to that like week 16 and week 18, I was like, okay, this transfer should be happening. Where's my name? Like this can't keep going on. Um, my see. mom was like getting to the point she was getting very worried. My dad was a bit chilled, she was like, okay, you're okay that sort of thing but obviously again it goes back to that carer's burnout the family the type one caregivers as I mentioned earlier on like the impact all this stress has on them as well even though they don't have the condition so eventually I got it but it was just the the proceedings before I got it so I went to the new London trust I got the insulin pump I think after Christmas but just that first initial appointment and that the fact that consultant recognised why are you not on an instant pump from the moment I walked in? And yet when you try and say to someone else, it's like it's, it's walking on deaf ears. Um, yeah,
0: that happens a lot. I, I just um, interviewed um someone a couple of weeks ago who had said, that, you know, I was trying to remember which episode it's going to be on, but um, where they were like, you know, the one rheumatologist was like, you're fine, there's nothing wrong with you. And then the next one was like, you so obviously have, um, you a hundred percent have psoriatic arthritis. It was Maggie's episode. And, um, you know, it's like, they're like, we can't believe this didn't get caught earlier. So it's like such a whiplash sometimes to be like, on the one mm-hmm. hand, people are like, nothing's wrong. On the other hand, they're like, wait a minute. No, you, you need much better care. Like, oh. so, um, and I think you mentioned the caregivers and I think this is an interesting thing to think about when, um, with respect to, you know, all chronic, chronic health conditions, whether it's like type one diabetes or, you know, um, rheumatoid arthritis or lupus that, you know, the people who surround us can have such an impact on our, on our daily management. I do think, so I, my only experience, I'm just going to say for the record, I did have gestational diabetes, which from what I was taught, let me know if this is wrong, but is more similar to type one. Um, like, and so it, and I didn't have to take insulin, but I was able to, I was, you know, checking my blood sugars all the time and and changing my eating and exercise patterns around when my blood sugar was going too high. Um, but when you said three, I was like, I never, it, my problem was that it was going high. It was never going really that low. Um, it was like 60 was low, you know, but, um, but anyway, but point being, what I noticed is that like with There is there's a big difference between conditions where you can constantly be measuring things like with type one you can measure your blood sugars you know at any given moment of time and there's like a clear like path of what to do or there's like options whereas sometimes I think what's difficult in conditions like lupus or rheumatoid I mean they're all difficult I'm not trying to like compare you know easier to harder but I think it's something that is difficult for caregivers to understand is that there's not always a totally clear path it's not like okay I'm in I'm in pain and this is the silver bullet do you know what I'm saying like it's there's a lot of ambiguity let's put it short <laughs> long story short a lot of ambiguity and and a lot and these are invisible conditions so what I know I know causes stress for a lot of people is that their their caregiver their you know their husband or their their parent will be like kind of like oh are you just Are you exaggerating it? Do you know what I mean? Or or they'll be saying like, you're not doing enough. Does that make sense? Like, so what, do you have any advice for people who feel like, okay, again, long story short, that their care, that their people in their life that are important to them just don't really get it or they'll, they're not helpful.
1: (laughs) So way. um so obviously before I answer your question um there is research to show that um all diabetics make hundred and forty decisions every day um as wow. you mentioned as you mentioned with um any or autoimmune like arthritis lupus JIA um if I ask you Cheryl how many decisions have you made already this morning relating to your arthritis you you could you you we don't count it but right. I sometimes think it's um it can be hard for the caregivers to understand and I think that's where um, support networks come in play because um, obviously they don't know how you feel like you're all unique and individual and I think sometimes um, like for instance I had a chat with another lady this I was doing another focus group this week and um, sometimes like sh- you can fly up at any time and it's, it's using that support network when you need it. If you feel like pain, you can't see, because obviously, for instance, you can't see pain. Pain is, you, you can't see it unless it's visible. Um, write it down or just be like, okay, this is what I find difficult and then explain exactly why. But also like it, it may take them a bit more time because they only maybe see for a couple of hours and then you go your separate lives that day. But also, be honest and open um, communications and o- open honest communication is important when you're having a long-term condition it can't just be you can't just shut people out because they won't know how you're feeling. Um, I remember when I had a skin flare up I basically took photos of my face and sent it to my rheumatoidist because we were in COVID I couldn't see them like sent photos of my face and I just gave a short description okay this is my face today this is my face tomorrow like just some photos because. Sometimes if you write a diary, your hands are be fatigued and you can't um, write. Take a photo. Photos, with the way technology has evolved over the last 18 months, send it to them like, okay, I'm having a flare-up. This is my symptoms. This is what I've done. And at least with a photo, they can see the imagery because they don't know about you when you go to a rheumatologist and think, okay, oh, I want to say this and I like, totally forgot. Or if you know you're having an appointment, just go back to those... Um, points but also try and bring your loved ones into the appointment as well I've been quite fortunate that when I see the diabetes nurse I've been seeing her virtually so occasionally I bring my mom in and um she hear like the first few bits then I may chuck her out <laughs> in the politest way um, if there's things I don't want her to hear or or just have that space and be like okay, mom this is this is how I feel diabetes is crap right now um, I need you to do this this and this for me or if you cook this, can you please make sure you tell me like what you put in it so I can count my carbs? Um it's just Sorry, that open open. It's just that open communication there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I, I agree. And I think sometimes um kind of there, I always talk about how social media is like a double-edged sword, you know, and, and it can be really great to go on social media and connect to other people with similar conditions who who really get that feeling of isolation. But if you keep repeating, there's a danger to repeating to yourself over and over, like no one understands, no one's ever going to get it. Like then it be- can kind of become like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So like you said, as the patient, you know, with the condition what, what we can control is how we communicate, you know, to others in our life, what we, how we explain it to them. And I love your um, example of the 140 decisions a day that people with type 1 diabetes make, you know, related to their health. And I think that really illustrates like the mental load and the cognitive mm-hmm. load, you know, of these conditions. A lot of it reminds me of parenting too like i'm like when charlie was really little i remember trying to explain to my husband because i was the primary caregiver you know he was going to work it was very like you know traditional setup and i'd be like it's not just that the tasks the task like if you look at each task in isolation like like an ot you know you're like the task of changing a diaper you know that's not a difficult task but it's the thought that i have to put in all constantly Okay. If he, if I change the diaper before, after the nap, how does that relate to the feeding schedule? And, oh, he's this month's old. Are we start, are we supposed to start solids soon? And then which solids should I start with? Should I like, it's all that, you know? And I think that's the same thing with chronic health. It's like, it's not just that, like taking your blood sugar level, let's say you don't have an insulin pump or whatnot, or you don't have, you know, any sort of smart tech and you're doing it the old way of just pricking your finger. It's not just that that physical action is hard; it's that the thought around every single thing you put in your mouth, you Mm -hmm. have to think about that, you know. And I, I, it was really eye-opening to me to have um, gestational diabetes because, you know, I thought I was empathetic about diabetes before, and and um, it it yeah, it was it was annoying. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this has really taken the pleasure out of eating, you know, because I have to think about every thing, you know, related to food. And that's just the food part. So anyway, sorry. Yeah. I think the more that we can explain to the caregivers and also the other piece of advice I give people a lot is, um, sometimes people need to hear it from someone else, like meaning like you as the patient, someone might be too close to you to really understand. Like, so let's say it's, it's a, it's a spouse, a spouse might need to hear information, like literally from a YouTube video or social media or a blog post like something else other than just it's not just that you need to explain it to them does that make sense like sometimes when they hear it from someone else they realize oh it's not just my partner is being like demanding this is actually part of the condition so that's actually this all relates to advocacy right because we're talking, you <laughs> talking about advocacy earlier you're advocating for your needs you know to your partner um is there any other advice you might have for or thoughts on on um Communicating to, communicating your your needs, I guess you know, to important people in your life or to health providers. Like I, I know you talked about the advocacy example, um of getting you know getting better care.
1: Um. So for me, if I'm being honest, when I did my uni degree, I didn't. I only told a few friends, and then um, eventually we had a lecturer who had talked on, so I was a bit more open. But um, I think it's being open enough to say what you feel comfortable to share so like um for me I have my emergency emergency caller id like on my phone so it's got like a med- medical id so they know if I, anything happens to me it says I'm a type one I've got lupus um, do not give me any incident if I'm unconscious, because so that'll just make things worse and then my contact details um so I have that on my phone. If I'm communicating to healthcare professionals, as I said, I would sometimes write. If it's like, for example, I will be seeing my room at the end of this month, so I'll start maybe thinking about things I want to discuss on some paper in my phone, in my in my phone, just on the date, and just thinking about okay, what's happened in the last few months, um, where where we head, where is well, what destination are we heading to next in terms of treatment plan? Because I think, um, yes, you are how can I that yes, you are the, the driver in the driving seat. Um, but you also need to know, how is this going to impact you five months from now? Because they could say, for instance, I was offered um, belimumab and methotrexate a couple of months ago. I did my research. I read most of the papers. Um, but then I, look at, I looked at my health over the last couple of months. There's been a few things that have happened. But then I thought, okay, if I was on methotrexate, would that increase or decrease my quality of life? Um, Because obviously being an occupational therapist in the National Health, um, I know some people felt sick after taking methotrexate, Um, some people couldn't work. So it's really thinking about, okay, yes, they're they're giving you these drugs, but at the end of the day, how is it going to impact your life five months from now? And in the end, I said, at the moment, my quality of life has been the best it's ever been. Um, Who's to say this drug may not work? So it's important that you ask these questions. Don't feel afraid to ask these questions because um, the medics are there to support you, but also just have that inkling and think, okay, um, they don't want to start these drugs, but just advocating for yourself, like, what's going to happen if they start these drugs? Um, what re- what what research is there? That's what they're there for. Um, and also it's okay to say, can I have some time to think about it as well? Don't be quick to say, okay, let's do this. Let's have some time to think about it because um, I think that's important. I think the only thing with COVID that has impacted our communication, because a lot of, I don't know about your room toilet um, service, they've had to change the phone lines. So it's either you need a message and then someone will get back to you in a few days or in my one, I tend to, I've got like a portal. So I yeah. can just send my nurse a message and then they'll get back to me. So that's something, Don't always write it down because sometimes you may have brain fog and you may forget your question, which, um, is they think oh I wanted to ask this just write down down even in just a quick Siri can you remind me of this at times I'm guilty of as you had my watch at the beginning a couple of months ago just
0: oh yeah just,
1: <sighs> just just yeah things like that or Alexa I know um people use Alexa to take their medication like Alexa can you tell me to remind me of this medication to take or something like that things like that just remember that communication can be open it's not one size fits all
0: I love that. And I, yeah, I have to write stuff down or else I don't remember it. And I use tons of reminders on my phone. I have reminders that are like Monday to Friday reminders or reminders that are every day or like for my injectable medications, you know, once a week reminders. Um, So I totally, yeah, those are all such, such good pieces of advice. And along the topic of just general advice, one of my favorite things to learn from people is what would your advice be to somebody newly diagnosed let's just take lupus for example just what's i know this is not medical advice this is not occupational therapy services <laughs> this is just you know what what would you say to somebody who says oh my gosh melissa i just got diagnosed with lupus today i'm freaking out like what 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 kind of words of wisdom or inspiration would you have for them i would
1: um i would say to them like okay you can diagnose with lupus but um your life doesn't have to change because you've got a diagnosis of lupus. Um, I would tell them like, yes, you've been diagnosed with lupus, but lupus does not define what you do. Um, I think it's important that you, when you have a long-term condition, like you still be able to do, still are able to do the things you want to do in life. I guess it may need some adapting, some some flexibility, but you can still do it. Like for instance, I went to Australia for two weeks um before COVID hit um, there was some pre-planning that needed to take place um but I managed to do it so I think it's just trying to don't don't sell yourself short um would be one bit of advice the other thing I would say is um you mentioned earlier on about fatigue management if you feel like I noticed what some people have done is they write like on what what lupus is is on a good day and what is of on a flare-up day so like write a plan of like when it's on a flare-up day, the tasks you can maybe do, and when it's non, you're not flaring the tasks that you could achieve, and then just compare and contrast those, those two activity days between a flare-up day of tasks you would want to do and a non-flare-up day. Um, I would say can seek, seek support. I'm quite fortunate to have a local support group on my phone um, We WhatsApp now and again, and occasionally we'll have meetings in London, so that's nice. Um, and again, social. I use social media, but not as much. I use it more for my diabetes. Um, I'm quite passionate because I'm involved in a few focus groups and young adults panels, so I'm I can connect with other people. Um, and also, the other thing is, i will say is let your loved ones and family members in when with this diagnosis journey because it's not just affecting you; it's affecting them as well. Um, the one thing when I got my second, my first insulin pump, my nurse said to me. We're taking home this new baby and I was like baby <laughs> uh, oh, it, it'd, wow. be, it'd be such a small device um and it is true like as a family we did there were days where we loved the, the pump where it was great and then there's days we wanted to throw it in the window including myself but we all <laughs> love to, to nurture the pump those times we called it a diva when it was mm-hmm. just alarming but but it's accepting that this condition doesn't define who you are can still live life to the fullest, but just needs preparation, planning, and it's okay to say no. I can't do this today. um Right. What I did, what I did when I was younger is when I got diagnosed with diabetes, I tried to read everything. And my mom and dad were like, okay, you need to slow down. It's we're doing this as a family. It's not just you." Um, right. So when I got right. my journey, so when we went on a holiday pre-COVID on a cruise. My dad would be the one that would hold my um, my diabetes kit in his suit because, you know, the men always have suits.
0: Right, um, right. And,
1: and I was wearing a jump seat at the time, so there's nowhere to put anything in the jump seat. My mum would <sighs> be the one who'd clip my pump back oh. in if I if I can't clip it in, and my sister would be the one that has the um, the glucose on standby. So mm-hmm. find many roles for them with in terms of your lupus management or diabetes management so they can feel part of your condition as well but remember they are there to support you um and also your healthcare professionals as well um there will be some points in the journey where there'll be some frustration anger but find ways to alleviate that I think I did do a bit of boxing and Mm -hmm. um, that did help but just 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 let them know how you feel like even again if you don't feel like talking just send them a text or, or a, voice, a voice note as most of us are doing these days like mom this has been a crap day this is what's happened right um, yeah
0: I, I love that and you know because we have a little bit of extra time I, I do want to indulge in one one more question which kind of ties into what you're talking about with the frustration and the emotions mm-hmm. the emotional ups and downs you know I think I always talk about uncertainty being the most difficult thing for me to cope with because I can cope with the pain. I can cope with the fatigue to a certain degree, right? They're not fun, but the uncertainty has really is what has I realized. Well, I, and my therapist (laughs) helped me realize is what caused a lot of anxiety for me because not knowing, you know, the future. And like you mentioned, there's, there's good days and bad days, right? And you don't always know going to bed tonight, if tomorrow is going to be a good or bad day, you might have little signals from your knowledge in the past, but, you know, so the uncertainty for me personally is one of the hardest things to cope with. And I've been able to cope with it through acceptance and commitment therapy and just realizing it's not a solvable problem. Uncertainty is just a fact of life, you know, so stop trying to fight it. Stop trying to find certainty because you're not going to ever find it. So it's weirdly a freeing thing, but so that's my little journey in a nutshell, but what are some of the things that have helped you cope with either the uncertainties or just the things that are emotionally challenging for you about having chronic illnesses?
1: Well, um, well, sure. that's to put me on the spot. Um, that could be a, good. that
0: could be a 75 minute episode by itself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know.
1: Um, so it's, uh, it's good you mentioned about that acceptance therapy act which I think has been used quite a bit in um, rheumatology and it's been mentioned by the British Association of Rheumatology and it's something we actually deliver in our service so that's
0: quite great Um, it's my favorite I'm totally biased (laughs) towards that just because it works so well for me (laughs) and I've seen it work for others too not just anecdote but yeah and the evidence is really good for it for chronic pain and chronic illness but anyway yes
1: continue (laughs) Um, I think for me the uncertainty I think sometimes is that's where I do gratitude So every night before I go to bed, I do five things I'm grateful for that day. And even if it's something that, okay, the smallest thing like this week I've put, um, someone said to me, you're such a lovely person and I value your opinion. Um, Or the other one is I actually managed to do an hour and a half at the gym. It's practicing the gratitude. Um, What I've thought about my last few months of philosophy is don't worry about tomorrow, worry about today because tomorrow is never guaranteed. Um, if a flare-up does happen, it can be. It can, there's ways to manage it. Um, it doesn't mean that life will stop. It may just mean that to get to your end goal, it may take a couple of weeks. But you need to just remember that um, if we worry about everything, it's just going to impact on our health and well-being. So for me, it's just okay. This has happened. Okay, let's take a breath. Like, let's make the relevant calls if we need to make those calls. And this is how we're gonna approach it. And then just try and think, okay, if I stress, what's the implication of stressing? I need to relax. And then we'll try and work out how best to do it. But then accept, okay, it's happened, you can't change it. Um so yeah, things like that, but also remember that everyone will have a setback in life. Um, maybe it was just not that time to get to that destination, and this this setback maybe just for a small part of our seasons we go through different seasons in life um, yeah. and there may be a reason why that has happened we don't know but I guess it's just just taking a step back being grateful for what we have like um, my mum always says she's grateful for life because during COVID we, I don't know how many people we've lost in this season of COVID but just have been grateful for, for breathing and that air because there's a lot you can see like people being going into hospital, but just taking that time to pause and reflect like this can be, this can be fixed or this can be um, not fixed. Fix is probably not the right word, but this, there is a solution to this. Yes, it may stop our end goal, but we can find a solution to resolve the problem.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. One of the exercises in ACT is creative called creative hopelessness. And it's actually about acknowledging. Well, so this is just my first of all, thank you for sharing that. Sorry, I'm like going off in five directions in my brain, but um, but yeah, sometimes it's very comforting to say, like, you know. Uh, as Marie Forleo says, everything is figure outable, like everything, you know, every solution has a, or every problem has a solution. So other times for me, it's also helpful to say, maybe this is not a solvable problem. Like maybe this is not fixable, but I can cope with it. I have the capacity to tolerate this and to still turn towards what's important in my life. Even if this problem doesn't go away, you know, even if pain like chronic pain, unfortunately, There is not a way to fix chronic pain for everyone right now. You know, some people, the best that's going to happen is getting your pain from an eight to a five or getting it from a five to a three. And so then being able to say, I can, I can cope with that. I can cope with a life that isn't at a zero for pain, you know, and that can also be, again, empowering. It's weirdly empowering because. I'm like a perfectionist, so I want to get everyone to a zero. You know, I want to get myself to a zero, you know, but hardly anyone gets to go through life every day with zero discomfort or pain, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whether it's like logical or, you know, it's it's not the human condition to just have a perfect, carefree, easy life. And if you did, you know, Um, then, you know, I guess more power to you, but, um, but you know, most of us have to get used to suffering on some degree. So, so that's another thing that, that can be helpful for, but I love what you said about gratitude because, um, that's something that I grew up in a family where every night for dinner, we'd go around the table and everyone would say, we just call it, you're grateful for, we just call it the grateful for. So everyone would say one thing that they're grateful for that day, you know, and it was just a great practice. Like um bringing you into what is yeah what's going well in your life oh sorry I forgot to close my door (laughs) so people keep slamming the door in the background um but okay so now we're time to wrap up a little bit but is there anything else you wanted to share you know with the audience about what we covered today or anything else
1: um I just want to say it's been great um doing this podcast um with you and it's I I look forward to hearing it and I think a big shout out to um First, arthritis Young Adults panel. Yes. big shout out to um, the Di- Diabetes UK Young Adults panel and anyone with type 1 diabetes or nervous or any form of arthritis, really. And just a big shout out to my mum, dad, and sister for, this, for supporting on this journey. Um, mm-hmm. Dad, this one's for you. Um, unfortunately, yes, this, this podcast is in memory of you thank you
0: oh that's so that's so sweet you're I think you're the first person to like do a shout out to their, their family and I, I'm, I'm sorry your dad's not with us anymore um but that's really really sweet and if he, I'm sure many people listening are going to want to you know follow you or learn from you so we're and I'm going to put everything in the show notes but where, where where do you suggest that they follow? Where are you online, in other words? <laughs> uh,
1: so I'm online on Twitter. So it's Melissa. Um, I've got a little dash on the bottom. She her, So that's C-H-I-E-Z-A. And then I'm on um, Twitter, on Instagram as um, Mel C. I think it's 567. No, Mel, Mel C97, sorry. So Mel C97 on Instagram. But yes, I hope you guys um stay safe, stay well, and just... Pick up a couple of few tips really in this podcast but
0: yeah no it's great you're very like how, like you have a very um calm energy compared to mine so I, I'm always like just in awe of people who you know I don't know what to how to say I'm like a chaotic energy and mm-hmm. and your energy to me externally maybe internally you feel very chaotic but your external energy is like okay I, I feel if you were my occupational therapist i feel like okay trust her she knows what she's doing so thank you <laughs> you're calm yeah calm cool and collected that's what we say in the u.s i don't know if they say that in the uk but
1: <laughs> i like it I like it.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that could be your new tagline i'm calm mm-hmm. cool and collected oh i just realized i wasn't following you in- on twitter so I'm-, I'm rectifying that now well thank you so much yeah and i will put this um, out um into the, the internet. We're almost at 50,000 um, downloads of the Arthritis Life podcast at the oh. time of this recording. So I think you're going to put us over. So thank you for being part of that, but we'll talk to you later. See you later, Cheryl. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, a membership and support community where you'll learn how to develop your own Thrive toolbox so you can live a full life despite your rheumatic disease or chronic illness. Learn more in the show notes or by going to www.myarthritislife.net. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.